Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. For sure. Because uh, it definitely is a part of life. And especially, you know, with our Nez Perce traditions um, and, you know, many Native traditions, you know, there have been so many facets of our culture and our heritage that have been stripped away from us, literally forcibly removed. Um, and so when you find these like pockets um, of tradition that you can really cling on to and, and to learn and you can keep uh, creating for future generations, um, it, it strikes a little bit different, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, one prime example is just language itself. Like the fact that not everyone in our tribe are fluent speakers of Nez Perce language, you know, it's something that was literally removed in order to take us away from our culture to strip us of our identity mm-hmm. um and one example being like my grandmother um her her mom was a fluent speaker her grandmother was a fluent speaker um yet her grandmother encouraged english in her as a form of like assimilation um you know my grandma was sent to a boarding school where you know it was not the thing to speak your indigenous language Eita Brasil, tá comigo? New York, I know you have me. Yeah. Hi, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of La Mezcla. My name is Adrian Burke. I'm the creator and host of the show. I'm so happy you're here. Um, if you're a new human, thank you so much for, for listening. If you're an OG fan, thank you so much for coming back. Um, I'm so excited to have you here, and um, I don't have anything else to say. Please remember to <laughs> rate, review, and subscribe, and all that stuff. And uh, without further ado, let's get into this week's guest. And speaking of this week's guest, I'm so excited to bring you all uh, this week's conversation with Kellen Trenell. Uh, Kellen is a half black, half Native American, specifically of the Nest Purse tribe um, artist and human. Um, I had a really, really great conversation with Kellen about his uh, his come up in the Pacific Northwest, uh, but the ways he's reconciled his identity uh, as a black person and as a Native American person and about his work with the Nez Perce tribe. Um, this was a really, really great conversation. I really can't wait for you to listen to it. Um, so please make sure to, to support Kellen and to support the show. And um, that's it. Without further ado, please um, enjoy this week's episode episode with Kellen Trinnell. Cuz you know we shine on them. I was searching for a perfect place and time to get peace of mind. It wasn't hard to find. I got like as a line of skin yet as mine. Okay. All right. Here we go. Hi. Hello. Hi Kellen. What's up? Well, hello. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. Much. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. Truly, truly. Uh so let's uh let's start it off very like like I start all of them. 
So, uh, so this show has like a very small but devoted fan base uh, who, who I refer to affectionately as my mom's friends because uh, we're still so small that it's mostly just people my mom tells about the show. So, <laughs> so the way I start all of them is just uh, just introduce yourself to my mom's friends. Uh, give us a like really quick cliff notes of like where you grew up, where your parents are from, uh, uh, what your mix is, and then we'll we'll get into the rest of it. All right, awesome. Well, thank you for that intro. I love meeting mom's friends. Like my mom is probably one of my best friends, if not my absolute best friend. Her and my mm -hmm. grandma have like a very close competition on who's my best friend. So uh, <laughs> it's awesome to <laughs> to reach out to your mom's friends. <laughs> well, my name is uh, Kellen Trinnell. Uh, Trinnell's my middle name. Um, and uh, I am originally from Seattle, Washington. Mm -hmm. I'm a boy of the Pacific Northwest through and through. Um, as far as my parents go, my mom is uh, from the Nez Perce tribe. She grew up on the reservation, the Nez Perce Indian Reservation, which is now located in northwestern Idaho, right in the Panhandle. Um, and my biological father, he's actually out of Los Angeles, the Pasadena area, um, and he's African American. I um, didn't necessarily have a relationship with him growing up, uh, and so I was practically raised, uh, well not practically, I was actually raised uh, by my mom and uh, then later in life my stepdad, um, the man who uh, raised me and who I call dad, um, who is a member of the Umatilla Cayuse uh, tribe, which uh, their reservation is located in northeastern Oregon. Um, okay. And so I grew up uh, this dual life where I was back and forth between Seattle and the reservation. Um, so I'd spend, you know, a large part of my school year in the big city, and then I would go to small town reservation where it's like 1,200 people or less. Wow. Um, and just be um, back and forth between those two worlds, um, which Seattle's like the biggest city that you can find here in like the Pacific Northwest, sure. uh, Oregon, Idaho, Washington. Uh, so yeah, it was just like a huge jump back and forth between that, and then later on in my junior high to high school years, I uh, moved over to the east side of the state uh, in Spokane, Washington. And uh, that was a really big change too, because it put us right in between both my family's reservations. So as I mentioned, uh, my dad's reservation is in northeastern Oregon, and my mom's family's reservation is in northwestern Idaho. So we were just right smack dab in the middle. Um, and again, it was just that um, duality of like being back and forth between a city and uh, the countryside. Yeah. I mean, hey, this show is all about duality and ambiguity, yeah. and yeah, so I'm Which, I'm here for that. Yeah, I love it. It's it's been awesome just hearing other people's stories too. It's just it's so incredible because I mean, although nobody has the exact same story, you just feel so seen in that way. You know, absolutely, like, absolutely. Two different opposing things coming together to yes. To so all of us. How what's the um? Uh, how did your parents meet? At Washington State University, actually. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it kind of trips me out just thinking about, um, it's been in the last few years that I've actually had contact with my biological father for uh, mm -hmm. the first time in my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's a huge change and, uh, hearing his story on where he came from, it just kind of blows my mind, the adversity that he, um, went through in his life, um, that led him to go all the way out to Washington, Washington, uh, for his, his college years. And then uh, just thinking about my mom and coming from, you know, this tiny, small town, um, 
on a reservation where not many people um, take the opportunity to one, leave the res or two, um, follow through with higher education. Right. So the fact that these two people um, left these very adverse situations and then found one another um, in a small town in Washington, Pullman, Washington, yeah. uh, <laughs> it just kind of blows my mind. Uh, is the so, culture, is the, the culture of growing up on the reservation, is the, the how, how, is, how is leaving the reservation and like kind of, I guess my question is, is the attitude of people seeing somebody leave the reservation, is it looked at as some type of assimilation or is it encouraged? Like, I'm just curious about what the, what the culture is of that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's definitely encouraged, um, especially now. I can't exactly speak for my mom's generation. Sure. Um, uh, however, for like my experience uh, and for like myself, my older cousins, my younger cousins, um, it's encouraged to to keep going, to find um, find yourself in higher education, to advance mm -hmm. um, oneself in order to like come back and help with the community yeah. um and again i can only speak from my experience and, and what i've seen for my reservation of course of course because um, um, it's different all around obviously um however it's it is kind of a double-edged sword uh in that you know you're in such a small community and you're so ingrained with your family and who you are that you don't always feel empowered to take the steps out to go mm. um to like not even about larger schools yet, you know, somewhere a little bit more distant. Um, so it's, it is a, a thing that is very much encouraged, um, yet the, I don't know, I don't have to say like the infrastructure around it or like just the support mm -hmm. system that one feels um, isn't always, um, geez, I'm, I... <laughs> getting kind of <laughs> sick, I'm like, <laughs> I wish everybody anyway. could see your like your deep and thought face right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, how do I say this exactly right? It's not even about being right. It's just yeah, yeah. it's just you about know, your experience. It, yeah, and it's difficult too because you know um, people want to like I, I see it. I see the youth that they want to go out and they want to do these things, yet they don't necessarily feel like they have like um, the power to do so. They don't have the financial wherewithal. Right. They don't have um, you know, I come from a small town. I'm just this type of person. Like, why would I be accepted into these places? You know, that mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. that almost a uh, reservation of the mind, you know, a limiting that can happen. Mm. Um, so just those kind of factors is basically what I'm trying to get at. Is that something that you felt like you dealt with yourself while you were coming up? Also, like, were you like, were you going to public schools in the area? Like, what were your early school years like? Uh, early school years were crazy. Uh, being in Seattle, um, I was around a very diverse group of people. Um, so like my friend group was just amazing. I absolutely loved all the kids that I came up with. Um, just so many different nationalities, so many different religions. Uh, it was beautiful. And uh, it wasn't actually until um, some of my time on the reservation that I realized I was different. Um, mm. And that, um, you know, it's basically a homogenous community uh and that you know it's primarily native americans and you know primarily people of the tribe that live on the reservation hmm. uh and so for me being half nest person half black you know i was the one that was different yeah uh, and uh so that was a that was a jarring experience in that you know 
being in Seattle, being around, you know, all these different people, everyone was different. It, it was just the thing. Uh, and uh, then having it highlighted while I was on the reservation was just like a mind blowing experience to me. Uh, and then transitioning that um, from the Seattle area over to the Spokane area. Spokane is primarily white. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, at the junior high that I attended, I was like one of three brown people uh, in the school. And uh, it, it was just a complete culture shock. Yeah, I can uh, imagine. From, yeah, just going from, from the different communities. And so... Um, can I ask what the... Can yes. I ask what the what the um what what the dumb assumption? Because I grew up in suburban New York, at uh -huh. like at a pretty very very white school district, and the the assumption back then for anybody who was brown, even me being lat mixed Latino, like but yeah. still looking very white, so I I could pass. But for all any of my friends who couldn't pass, the assumption was always like, oh, you're Mexican, right? Like you're Mexican, right? Like I'm just curious, like if it was different in a in the Pacific Northwest, if there was like a different dumb assumption that kids were making at the time. Geez, I mean, I'm sure there were, <laughs> there, yeah. there was. Um, I guess for me, like my assumption is like phenotypically, I don't necessarily look uh, like what you would envision a Native American person to look like, you know? Mm -hmm. I have a little bit darker skin. My my hair is just not as long and flowy as straight. I don't have that, you know, there's very um, defined images that you see right. of Native American people in history and media and whatnot. And so I guess if anything, my assumption was working with like, oh, you're the black kid that's, I guess, mixed with something or, you know. Right, right. Um, and they just assumed um, an automatic blackness with me, mm. um, which is very strange because I was actually raised by two Native American families. Mm. Um, and so for me, I have like a very strong Native American identity. I mean, I also have a very strong black identity as well. However, it wasn't necessarily cultivated in my home life, you know, that was something right, that right. I developed for myself and I developed, um, especially in, in learning how to walk in the world, where my assumption, I guess, was, hey, you're the black kid that I guess yeah. has something else going on in there. And when did you, when do you feel like you started cultivating that black identity? Was that something that was happening in Seattle or was that something that was happening a little later? Um, my entire life. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Beautifully, um, my initial years, um, I was um, being raised by my mom and my aunt, one of her younger sisters, um, who is also my godmother. And um, they encouraged that I, in me, you know, they, mm. they were very truthful about, you know, who I am, who I, where I come from. Uh, and so I knew that as a young kid. Um, and then again, as I mentioned earlier, like coming into contact with, you know, you're different um, from other kids, you know, pointing out, right, you know, just somebody else who who's not necessarily, you know, exactly what they think in their community. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I learned early on uh, to define like who I am, and not to say that I had it at all perfected. Um, sure, yeah, I don't think anybody's. <laughs> I don't think I don't think anybody's assuming that. I don't think any of us had any of that shit sorted out. Right at all, no. at all. However, like having the awareness of it um, was great, you know, and having it acknowledged yeah. was great um, because then I learned very early on, um, I guess, just that sense of autonomy and like, well, you may not have um, this resource right in your home yet mm -hmm. used to walk this path um and so you know just i found that in my friend groups i found that in my mentorships 
Um, I was yeah. also put into like uh, community, um, say like a, like a dance troupe, you know, or like, so, you know, I worked in conjunction with like an African dance troupe when I was younger, you know, uh, so like these different it. things, I found these different ways of like finding small connections that help to build that as a youth. Yeah. And when did dance start? Was Did that start very early? Very early, yeah. Um, my aunt, my godmother that I mentioned before, she's a performer down, just the arts <laughs> uh, person of the family, uh, which, you know, I guess the state would have it that my formative years were under her wing. So she actually ran a um, Native American, it was called NALA, the acronym N-A-Y-L-A, Native American Young Ladies Association. And then it always add like, plus one or like at plus sure, sure. basically me <laughs> of, uh, I would say about five or six young ladies and my aunt um, she would teach them uh, Native American dances um, traditional Native American dances uh, and also help to create um, the regalia used uh, for each style of dance um, and so we would meet up twice a week um, on Capitol well it was like first hill in Seattle um, at Seattle Indian Health Board, and we would rehearse, we would practice our dances, we would learn, uh, and then later she did outreach um, to an African dance our studio uh, in Seattle, and then we worked with them. So we would we created like this um, a beautiful like performance routine uh, uh, that went along with a few presentations, and we'd go around the Seattle area uh, and just present it. Uh, we'd perform it all over. Wow. Uh, and so that's when I was a little kid. Um, just, that's amazing. You know, yeah, having rehearsal twice a week with um, a bunch of people. I was the youngest member. Uh, and just, yeah, I, I loved dancing around and performing all the time. And, yeah. and you toured the, the Seattle area? Yeah, we went to just a bunch of different community events around the play, uh, mm-hmm. from Seattle area. Um, and to the different communities, there's a lot of... Uh, Native community, especially there on the coast. Um, so yeah, we just go all around and perform the youth conventions, um, did a couple of performances like in Seattle Center and mm-hmm. and whatnot. So it gave me the uh, arts and performance bug very early on. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, not only the arts and performance bug, but the, the very like rooted in culture bug. Cause like I got the arts and culture bug, but like through very like, white normative institutions like musical theater classes and like acting classes and all that stuff. I think it's so great that at such a young age, you were not only able to like cultivate that artistic voice, but also have it like rooted in your heritage. I think that's mad cool. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And it's definitely something that I'm grateful for. Um, just even within our family community, I guess before performing necessarily, um, you know, was raised to dance in that um, we have our tribal celebrations and or powwows. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's always been a thing. Um, you know, since I was born, basically, you know, there's um, photos of, of us and our baby boards wrapped up and, you know, our parents are out there on the floor dancing with us or, our, you know, being carried by our grandparents. And then, you know, as a toddler and, and then a small child, you know, going out and dancing, um, on my own so you know that's also just like a cultural component and that you right know, we're right. encouraged to dance uh, because it's it's one of the major ways in which we celebrate our heritage uh, and, and maintain our traditions yeah which is wild celebrations which is always wild to me uh, which granted it's not 
specifically the same in Peruvian culture, but, but dance is definitely a, a, a really big part of the culture in a way that it isn't in in America. And I just think about the way I grew up and the way dance was thought of as this kind of like scary social events that you were sort of like, you were sort of like freaked out about being around the opposite sex. And it was all this like very puritanical American uh, uh, ways of looking at dance, which always tripped me out as somebody who grew up in Latin culture where dancing is a lot more casual and like a way to say hello. But this is another another level of it where it's an like, where it's a literally from birth dance is just like part of the DNA. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Um, so I'm definitely grateful for it. Um, and it's uh, it's been amazing um, because just like having that awareness alone, just like you mentioned, you know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily uh, the narrative for everybody in their life, you know? So then just taking a step back and being like, wow, the fact that mm -hmm. this is something that I've been ingrained in since, since birth, basically, it's just like, wow, that's super awesome. And I felt to be amazingly, uh, or I guess amazingly grateful for, amazingly thankful for it. Just <laughs> Absolutely. Beyond, beyond, beyond. <laughs> and had you, and had you always, in conjunction with the dance, had you always been working on the beadwork as well? Yeah, so I, that came as a part of it in that um, with, uh, that performance group, uh, as I mentioned, my auntie was helping also uh, create a lot of the regalia, and so I'd spend you know hours at her apartment as she was um, sewing these outfits together. And there's just all this beautiful color, and there's ribbons mm -hmm. and cloth and fabric. Cool. Yeah, so basically just like colors, sparkles, so many colors around uh, and materials. And I just wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to help. I wanted to create because I loved seeing um, the transition from raw material to these pieces um, that were worn by people and that were you know, performed in. And you, know, you feel a sense of pride when you're wearing something that you've created yourself or have had somebody yeah. very close to you create, correct? Mm -hmm. um, and so I wanted to be a part of that process. Uh, also, again, just being around uh, my great grandmothers, I was, that's another blessing that I had. Um, one of my great grandmothers, well, both of them are great artists in their own ways. Um, yeah, one um, was really well known for her beadwork. And so I would see that, I would see her trays of her and her beadwork. Uh, and then another great grandma, she um, was a traditional weaver. So she made a lot of baskets very and bags, cool. um, also cool. using um, a very specific plateau style and or nest purse style weaving um, called corn husk weaving. Um, we use like the inner pieces of corn husk and it's uh, embroidered into your weaving to create um, this very beautiful facade on the outside of of your bags uh, so I, I grew up around this I grew up seeing all of this uh, also you know there were beautiful um, programs on the reservation workshops where it's you know come learn this traditional art learn mm -hmm. how to do this uh, see how to construct this so my aunts also put me into a lot of those classes and so I would say just all of those different influences really helped me to um, to feel that spirit of, you know, I want to be a creator. I yeah. want to, you know, learn these practices uh, and really get going with them, so. Yeah, which uh, again, I just like find such like a, uh, a, a beautiful, just looking at it in juxtaposition to the way like any given, like it's the word normal is stupid, but quote unquote normal American uh, looks at, at art and being an artist like in american society it's like 
you go to school and then you decide if you want to be an artist. Whereas in, in, in your culture, it's, you know, no, you're, you're an artist. You're as part of being a part of this culture, you are, you are exposed to dance. You are exposed to working with your hands. Uh, and I just, I, I, I wish for so many people that they were able to um, think of art in that way, that it's just like a part of life as opposed to something you choose to do. For sure. Because uh, it definitely is a part of life. And especially, yeah. you know, with our Nez Perce traditions um, and, you know, many Native traditions, you know, there have been so many facets of our culture and our heritage that have been stripped away from us, literally forcibly removed. Um, and so when you find these like pockets um, of tradition that you can really cling on to and, and to learn and you can keep uh, creating for future generations, um, it, it strikes a little bit different, you know? Mm -hmm. um, one prime example is just language itself. Like the fact that not everyone in our tribe are fluent speakers of Nez Perce language, you know, it's something that was literally removed in order to take us away from our culture to strip us of our identity mm -hmm. um and one example being like my grandmother um her her mom was a fluent speaker her grandmother was a fluent speaker um yet her grandmother encouraged english in her as a form of like assimilation um you know my grandma was sent to a boarding school where you know it was not the thing to speak your indigenous language right um and so then it, it hurts my soul every now and then to, um, to see how, you know, my grandmother was around fluent speakers and has, um, has an understanding of it all, yet can't necessarily practice in the exact same way as like some of her contemporaries can. Yeah. Um, because, you know, they, they were brought up in it so much. So just that one example alone um, and that, okay, we have these things that we can really hold on to, we can reclaim and we can cultivate for ourselves. So, you know, art being one of those, dance being one of those, um, whether it's traditional practices of like food gathering, uh, ceremony, song, these really, um, these things have become really important because, you know, there's been so much that has been uh, stripped away and in, in, in some amount, you know, not completely um, yet. You know, when you can find these little pockets of like, okay, this is something that I can really hold on to. This yeah. is something that I can really contribute. It, it's, uh, it's very empowering and it, and it just kind of motivates you in a different way to want to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. What was your exposure to the language? Do you, how do you, how do you feel about your relationship to the language? Um, I feel okay. Um, I'm actually going through like a little, uh, <laughs> I don't, um, a renaissance for myself or whatnot. And just, uh, like I, grew up we grew up in our family speaking certain words you know you mm -hmm. have certain words certain phrases right. um and you're that's just kind of a part of it um and uh luckily um also again i have aunties that were very uh involved in the nest first language program um so we have an actual program on our reservation and also uh, we have a dictionary which not every tribe has Wow. Um, yeah, that was developed in the late 70s, I believe. Mm. Um, and so it's a beautiful resource. And uh, the fact that I have it, I'm like, okay, this is, this is amazing. Yet 
I kind of kick myself every now and then because I'm like, why haven't I read all the way through it? You know, like, oh, sure, this is something yeah. that I Absolutely. want, you know? Absolutely. You know, it's like you yeah. have you have the resources at your hand, yet you don't always um I think you're I think you're time. describing I think you're describing <laughs> the experiences of any mixed person, which is just like right? why haven't I fully embodied everything about my multiple identities? <laughs> like Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it's very much that in that, you know, I I've been very lucky to be involved with different programs um, and camps where they focus on the language or it's introduced and and, uh, and shared. And um, then I've also worked uh, with the language program here and there uh, on certain projects. So that's been awesome. I've, I've been around it um, and I do my own little bits of study. Um, just this past summer, I made a little challenge to um, read through some of the recorded Nespers legends that we have. Mm. Uh, so they were recorded by elders uh, back in the 60s and or 70s. I'd have to relook. Uh, and then also there's transcripts. Uh, so I was listening along and then just reading along as well. Uh, and it was very exposing. That's I, so cool. You know, it's, so cool. It's, it's, it's hard because there's, yeah. there's different sounds that have to be made. You know, they're not muscles that we're used to. Right, right. Um, and then just also just presenting yourself to people um, and or forced or challenging yourself to to go through that process. You know, you're, you feel so vulnerable. And it's really uncomfortable. Also that yeah. said, it's so uncomfortable. Um, and trying to let go of the shame. Mm -hmm. that's a huge factor you oh know, my like, god yeah and it's so strange that that's something that you know so much of us deal with like there's the shame of not knowing the shame of not being perfect the shame of yeah or at least the idea of it not saying that it's dwelled in however just that like small hint of feeling it um, oh man i can't relate to i mean specifically on the level of language i mean i was yeah. uh, i grew up spanish is my first language i grew up speaking strictly Spanish, then started going to school here. Uh, and just like the, the kid shit of like, I wanna be like everybody else. I don't wanna be the different kid. So I'm gonna, so I'm just gonna like do my best to assimilate. And I like slowly but surely lost my, sp I spent a large part of my life refusing to speak my native language. Wow. Uh, and at a certain point, my, at a certain point, my mom, give up is maybe not the right word, but as my, I grew up with a single mom. So it's, so, I mean, you get it. like. At yeah. a certain point, she's got to like, you know, provide for the family and not like be so concerned with making sure I'm speaking Spanish all the time. But I, I can't relate more to that just like wave of shame that washes over me when I re-engage with my Spanish, which I've been doing over the course of the last couple of years. But I really think that's such a, I found that that's a real commonality with the people who have been on this show. Oh, yeah, I believe it 100%. Yeah. So how about let's uh let's talk about um moving out to you went to Notre Dame, right? That I did, yes. Yeah. Uh spent four years out in South Bend, Indiana. <laughs> Which is a major <laughs> culture shock going from, from the mountainous oh, yes. areas of Idaho oh, yes. and Washington and making my way out to to flat Indiana. Uh it was it was a trip for sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh-huh. And what did you what did you study then? Uh, anthropology and Portuguese and Brazilian studies. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So, All right. um, yeah, you know, a little, a little twist there. Um, I mean, my best friend, that. my best friend from home is Brazilian. So I, I, I oh, too love Brazilian culture and I wish I could speak Portuguese. Brazilian Portuguese specifically, I think is a beautiful language. It's so beautiful and it's so fun. Um, 
yeah, I had such a great time. I spent my junior year, the fall of my junior year, fall semester. Uh, so the summer leading into that semester and then the full semester, I was in Salvador, Bahia, so mm. the northeast of Brazil. Um, but then I came back for my spring semester at ND. So I went basically from the beaches to winter in Indiana, which was oh my god not and not just the, the beaches transition. from brazilian beaches which is a specific <laughs> exactly. level of beach <laughs> like, a, seriously oh my gosh no beaches reach that level really. <laughs> it was so beautiful i would walk from my host parents house down to the beach in the morning and i'd spend like a few hours on the beach and literally with sand on my feet i would walk to class and just be in Ugh. class for a few more hours and I was like, this is the life. How, mm-hmm. how have I not experienced this before this moment? Uh, so yeah, very much so. Like, yeah, very much what you were just saying. Um, it's a very specific experience of a very <laughs> specific type of beach. So yeah, to go from that back to snowy Indiana was a, a major trip. Yeah, yeah. And were you, uh, how about, were you dancing while you were at school? Were you performing? Uh, meaning in Indiana? Yeah, um, so I, I was. Um, uh, doing different student productions. Um, mm-hmm. What are we and... talking? What are we talking? Let's, <laughs> let's name names. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, <laughs> we had, I was, I was in, uh, we had like a fashion show. Basically, like there were these major, um, during the spring uh, of every year, we had our spring visitation weekend where they'd bring in um, you know, multicultural students from all over the country to, you know, visit the school. or mm-hmm. uh, And so we had student clubs that uh, also coincided their like, major performances at that time. Uh, so the BCAC, I think Black Cultural Arts Council, they had their fashion show that I walked in a few times. Nice. Um, which was fun. And then... Okay, also, everyone, he uh, models. Was... Okay. <laughs> ish, ish. <laughs> uh, and then there was uh, Latin Expressions, which was like the big one um and so like i helped choreograph the opening number with a few of my friends um my junior and senior year uh i performed in it i think my sophomore year and the opening number is like usually like this huge salsa number with like four to six couples um and yeah that was so much fun also there was just like different like student productions in the fall and whatnot being in on Hip hop crew. I was also on the step team for a few years. Damn, you uh, did a lot. With like, you did a lot. You know, a little bit. It's kind of <laughs> funny thinking about it now. At the time, it didn't really seem like that much. Uh, mm-hmm. Yet now, I'm like, oh wow. Um, and then, yeah, the YouTube videos that you go back and look at, it's just like, oh my gosh, what was I? Oof. Were you a YouTube- <laughs> were you a YouTuber, or these are videos of your performances? Of the performances. Yeah. Okay, got it. Got, got it. Got it. Got it. People got it. have you know some recorded memory of that that time in our life this is and this was like right when youtube first started yeah um and so it's like that like 240 like super grainy youtube yes. quality video yes. that like that 61 views on it like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's and so did you did you go back home after school or went like i'm basically piecing out when did you come to new york yeah oh my gosh so yeah i graduated from ng in 09 uh Mm. from there i went back to seattle for a few years uh for about three years so i was in seattle until 2012 
Um, and in that time I was training a lot. Um, so I started very late with my dance training. Um, I took like my very first ballet classes my senior year. It's like some of my final electives. Wow. And uh, yeah, I was at the, um, at St. Mary's, which was like a college right across the way from Notre Dame. Uh, and from there, I went back to Seattle and uh, got really involved uh, at a studio with Lake Dance Center uh, in Seattle, where I was just training um, a lot of ballet, contemporary hip hop, jazz, uh, and just spending, you know, six days of the week, basically there. Um, so in those three years, um, did a lot of dance training, transitioned into even teaching beginning hip hop classes, also dancing with a lot of um, dance crews or groups mm -hmm. there in Seattle, mm -hmm. um, and then made the jump down to LA from 2012 to 2017, uh, and was working as a professional dancer down there. Okay. During those times. Yeah. All right. Yeah, just a huge, huge, <laughs> or I guess like a different path from what I envisioned at Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, and that was great. And yes, yeah, so that was 2012 to 2017. And then I uh, made my way to New York uh, for 2018 and 2019. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the timeline of how it all happened. Seattle to yeah. LA to New York. And while you're all doing the, while you're doing all this, um, are you still? Because I did my research and I and I saw that <laughs> I saw that uh, that you have you you take special requests for bead work and you have a shop on your website. Like, was was all of this happening while you were like super focused in the dance world, or was that more of a recent development? Yeah, it it was all happening at the exact same time. Um, Sheesh. As I mentioned before, yeah. Step it up, everybody. Ish. Step your shit up, <laughs> I everybody. <laughs> I don't know about all that. Like, you know, it's, it's something that I do in conjunction with, like, my leisurely time, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, in the moments where you're binging a show, you know, yes. I sit and I beat at the exact same time. So, right. you yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's not even... I mean, of course, there is some extra effort in there. It's it's sure. not too much, though. It's not, <laughs> not a challenge to anyone else, else out there. <laughs> Um, however, yeah, I did it all at the exact same time, basically. I made a very, um, I, I decided uh, to really take my beadwork game uh, to the next level when I was graduating um, from Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. I was sitting down and, and I wanted to create my own uh, regalia and I wanted to create my entire set of beadwork for myself. Mm. Um, and. So, you know, how you think, oh, like, oh, I have this idea and then I can just do it. Like, your body doesn't necessarily work like that. You can't just, you know, throw these things out into the world. You have to kind of train up to do it. Um, and I learned that very quickly. I was about to say <laughs> the, the number of times I've learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> right? Oh, I'll just like... make a movie. Oh, great. <laughs> yep. And then it's oh, yeah. absolute dog shit. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much that process where it's just like, okay, well, uh, let's keep practicing um, so that it can be at the level that I want it to be at. Yeah. Uh, and then fast forward 10 years of, you know, continuing that process and, and just making small pieces here and there. Now I've finally gotten to the point where I'm like, okay, I have a very, I wouldn't say a mastery, I have a very good um, sense of of production, I, I I can I can knock these things out, and I I can get it at a level that I enjoy now. Yeah. yeah. Um. And I just yeah, it just came through 
that repetition over over the years uh, and so creating great. pieces for other people so so did you finish yeah. did you finish your own full regalia i have not no uh. however one major thing that i did um i i created a set of horse trappings um which in our like uh well with us nest first people um the Appaloosa horse is super important to us. Um, it's mm-hmm. a major part of our our culture. And if you Google Nest Purse and Appaloosa, you'll even see writings about it with Lewis and Clark, where they talked about, oh my gosh, these people cultivate and they, you know, selective breed. We haven't seen this done where they have prime horses. Um, anyways, my grandparents have Appaloosa horses. They have a herd. Um, so I grew up around horses and horse culture. And a part of like our ceremonies, uh, as well as like our horse parades and whatnot, we'd also dress up our horses in beaded regalia. Uh, And so that is one thing that I have done is that um, my family has a lot of different pieces in their archive mm -hmm. or like in in our in our group of, you know, family heirlooms that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I was like, I want to be a contributor to this and I want to make a complete matching set. Uh, So that's one thing that I did do uh, in the last for like four years ago, I did this. Um, how big is, how, how big are the horses? They're big uh, animals. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. So, I mean, if you can imagine a horse like wearing a big collar uh, over the front of their chest, um, doing like the whole head stall for the reins and a huge yeah. ornament in the front of their forehead. And there's things that are like blankets that are draped over the saddle area, as well as other large pieces that hang off the like backside of the horse, all with tons of beadwork. Um, and this is only for the horse, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not for the person, uh, dressed up to the nines as well. So, uh, that is one set that I did complete uh, and I'm super proud of, uh, so it's not necessarily for me. Um, yeah, it's something that, um, my family has been able to use and, uh, yeah. and it'll remain in my family, uh, for years to come, fingers crossed. Um, yeah, so that's, that's beautiful. kind of an amazing step. What would you say, what's the, the ratio, I guess as it stands right now, the ratio of mm-hmm. pieces that you're, that you're commissioned to make for people and the pieces that you're making for your family or for your tribe? Yeah, I, I go back and forth. Um, so uh, at the beginning of this year, I was January to May, I was doing all commission pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then since that time, I've just been taking time for personal pieces. Uh, so that's what I'll do. I'll do like a few months uh, for commissions and a few months for personal pieces. Um, being in New York actually really opened my mind to uh, new ways of feeding because uh, mm. primarily I was doing like standard jewelry, whether it be medallions or earrings or just, you know, ornamental pieces that we wear. Yeah. Uh, and then um, then I started to make the transition over to uh, painting on canvases and then mm. beading over the canvas. So I would, you know, paint an image of somebody and then bead over the top of it. Interesting. Um, so it's taking the artwork from something as like wearable art, traditionally as we see it, and yeah. putting it on a wall, you know? This is now uh, a fine art piece. Not uh. that all of it isn't, because it definitely is. Um, so that's one small transition that I've made in the last few years. That's amazing. Uh, that's and how do, exploration. and because we have to plug, because we're on a public platform, like how do people oh, keep yes. up with this? How do, yeah. how do people support or or look into your work or uh, please maybe uh, buying something? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, well, Trinell Original uh, is the name of my company. 
Uh, Trinell again is my middle name, T-R-E-N-A-L, original O-R-I-G-I-N-A-L. Uh, so on Instagram and Facebook, you can find me at Trinell Original. Um, and then also uh, recently launched my website at the top of this year. Uh, so TrinellOriginal.com. Uh, and through my website, I have like a, a form to submit for custom works. Mm -hmm. um, I also have my shop because um, I'm also making a, a slight shift uh, to um, also include digital artwork uh, and digital. Uh, oh, cool. Pieces uh, just to just to help turn out more. The main mm -hmm. thing that I really want to get accomplished. Um, well, one, people were just like, where can we see a collection of your artwork? They used to post everything just on my on my personal page. Mm -hmm. uh, and so about two and a half, three years ago, I created TrinellOriginal.com or not, not .com yet, you know, just the pages. So it was yeah, a collection we got it. Yeah, yeah. of the work. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, from there, I'm like, I, I want to show, I, I want to create just more images. Um, mm -hmm. I want to, you know, representation matters. Uh, and that's something that like just really holds on to my heart um, and it pushes me forward. So like with Trinella Original, I'm just like, how can I create more images um, that empower folks, that help people to be seen? Uh, and so not only through the beadwork and like these twisting contemporary spins that I put on it uh, in my own way, yet, you know, I want to reach out with more digital art, with more imagery as well. Um, that's beautiful. Help change narratives, you know? Yeah. So that's how people can find me, TrinellOriginal.com and or at TrinellOriginal, Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I love it. Uh, Kellen, I think we're like, we're winding down on time, but is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to, that you want to talk about? Um, I guess just the final bit of it um, with like Trinell Original and everything. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I made purpose again. It's just like exploring the innovation or excuse me, exploring the intersection between tradition and innovation. And mm. I just, that has been like the major thing, you know, because um, as we've discussed, like these traditional practices and these traditional feelings have been just a part of my story um, since inception, you know? Uh, and I am hoping that people um, can find their own sense of tradition and heritage and just really feel the power in it, you know, like going back to your roots yeah. uh, and, and, and really diving deep to really find your power within so that you can express it out. Um, and that's where the innovation comes in. Cause it's like, you know, culture isn't stagnant, you know, our, our people are not monolithic, you know? So how, how can we keep uh, progressing forward and, and pushing um, our story out there uh, and presenting ourselves through our own lens, you know? Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that's just like the main message that I, that I like to get across or that I'm hoping to really get across. So hopefully, you know, in a few years, uh, if we, you know, cross paths again in, a, yes. in an awesome way, like, you know, some of that will be um, out there. It's, it's just really empowering people to, to really understand uh, the power in their own tradition, in their own culture, in their own heritage, uh, and then learning how to just create, like, uh, to, uh, to work with that power uh, and innovating it in their own way to great for future generations. And I mean, I can't tell you, I can't tell you how, how completely compatible that is with sort of like the, the mission of this show. It's just the idea being like, 
yes, you should spend time uh, uh, really digging into whatever traditions your your culture may have, and specifically for people who are of mixed descent, like being able to to ditch the the either or mindset and kind of get into the both and mindset and to yeah. exactly like you said that culture is not stagnant and if you are as a person a fusion of multiple things you can just be a fusion of multiple things and find out what that what that new thing is instead of spending so much time being worried about am i enough of this am i enough of that oh my gosh enough is just that's enough enough is the the most loaded word the most loaded seriously oh my gosh yeah i've I've been like toying with like because yeah just that whole am i enough you know you're not black enough you're not indian enough you know Mm -hmm. uh and it's like i'm double enough like i am so strong in both of these uh and so it's just kind of cool like that enough word is just ah, it can be so plaguing yet when you yes. really step back and look at yourself uh, and and can really take stock of like yo i have all of this amazingness and like thank you for it i'm more yes. than enough i exceed enough <laughs> I, I love i'm yeah. like getting emotional i love that i love that Kellen. <laughs> yeah. thank you so much for being yeah. here thank you for being a part yeah. of the show thank you so much i really enjoyed this conversation i really appreciate uh you reaching out and the fact that you've uh, brought me into this combo so thank you thank of you. course we'd love to have you and please come back whenever whenever whatever you want <laughs> literally <laughs> well perfect i enjoy that and, and yeah i will most likely take you up on it because uh, it's been awesome so thank you so much of course of course I got like a Zalana Skina, yeah, that's mine Where I go to unwind from the grind And of all that I know, I promise you this Material shit don't make you rich And that's it for this week's episode of La Mezcla. Thank you so much to Kellen Trenal for coming in. Uh, thank you so much for uh, you listening to this somewhere at home or wherever you are. Um, thank you, uh, thank you to Authentic Literary Talent Management for hooking the show up. Thank you to um, to Zoom, I guess, even though I hate Zoom for uh, giving us a platform to host these remote episodes on. Um, and make sure to go and support Kellen in any way, shape, or form that you possibly can, and to rate, review, and subscribe for La Mezcla, and make sure to spread the word about the show. I'm so so thankful that people at uh, uh, that people. Uh, that people engage with the show in any in any way, shape, or form. I really uh, can't tell you how much that means to me. And I will be back next week with more La Mezcla. Have a great week, everybody. Eu só quero ser feliz Morrendo tendo orgulho das coisas boas que eu fiz And of all that I know for all that I live Love and loyalty is as real as it gets Put your L's up in the air like this Say put your L's up in the air like this